Friends, have you ever seen a grown man break down into tears? Last September, I watched a video of a man crying. And I'll be honest with you, friends, by the end of that video, I was crying too. And the truth is, so did most of the two million people who watched this video when it was posted on YouTube. Now, for those of you who may not have heard of this video, maybe you didn't see this viral video, it features a 66-year-old former bodybuilder named William Reed. And he's from here in the Northeast. He's actually from Batavia, New York. Now, William was born colorblind. And as a result of his colorblindness, he lived his entire life seeing only blacks and whites. But then, for his 66th birthday, his family all pulled their money together and they decided to buy him a special pair of Enchroma glasses. These are special glasses that have color-correcting lenses in them. And they allow colorblind people to actually see color. Well, once William opened his gift and put on those glasses, as you watch this video, you see overwhelming emotion sweeping over this man as he witnesses color for the very first time. It is truly a heartwarming moment to see this big, muscular guy instantly be broken down into tears and to see him transformed into this childlike wonderment as he sees color for the first time ever. What started out as a seemingly ordinary day, what seemed like just another ordinary birthday present, really turned out to be the the one day that changed this man's life forever. Family, we're going to open God's Word again today in this final message of our Light of the World series. And today we're going to be in John chapter 9. And in John 9, we're going to watch today, friends, as Jesus restores the sight of a man who had been completely blind for his entire life. And friends, what makes this particular story so encouraging is the way not only that Jesus restores the man's eyes, but the way Jesus also removes the spiritual blindness and the spiritual darkness out of this man's heart. Well, friends, if you haven't already done so, I hope you'll open your Bibles now to John chapter 9 in this final message of our series entitled, This Light Defeats Darkness. Now then, just before we start to dig here into chapter 9, it's important for us to remember the context. The context that will lead into this incredible miracle. Now last Sunday morning, if you were with us, we were in John chapter 8. And in John 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's there at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it's at this incredible event, this huge gathering of all the Jews coming together uh, in the temple there where these mighty uh, candelabras have been lit and there's light piercing the, the darkness there in the city. And Jesus, in that context, openly declares himself to be the light of the world. Well, last Sunday we learned that this amazing claim was rejected by the Pharisees. They found this claim by Jesus to be very offensive. Well, throughout the rest of John chapter 8, there's this animated conversation that takes place between Jesus and these Pharisees as they're having this dialogue back and forth about Jesus' identity versus their identity. 
Well, that then brings us, friends, to John chapter 9. And this chapter that we're going to look at this morning, it, this event that we're going to study, this happens either on the very same day or perhaps even the very next day when Jesus is again in the temple. He's there during this time of feast. He's with his disciples in and around the temple proper. Well, Christian friends, as we look at this amazing event where Jesus heals this desperate blind man who had been blind from birth, what unique features of this event should stand out to us? In addition, friends, let's answer this important question. What kinds of applications can you and I learn from this event for our Christian lives in the here and now? Well, friends, we're going to look this morning at some very important truths. Let's consider this first one as we look at this text together. Here's number one if you're taking notes. We're going to talk about, number one, the persistence of the darkness. Number one, the persistence of the darkness. Look with me now in God's Word at John chapter 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, Christian friends, it's important, it's worth noting that out of all the various miracles that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry, there are more accounts of Jesus healing the blind in Scripture than any other category of miracle. Jesus heals the blind more than any other category of miracle that he performed. Now, why is that? Why is that important? Well, friend, the reason... The Bible makes that such an emphasis, and the reason that the gospel writers capture so many of these miracles of Jesus healing the blind is because of this truth, that only God can heal the blind. Only God can restore a person's sight. Do you remember what God said to Moses back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11? This is in your notes. They're at the burning bush, and Moses is having this conversation with the Lord about the Lord's call upon Moses' life to go be this leader. And Moses said there, Lord, I'm not the guy you want. I'm not a good talker. I'm not good in front of people. And in Exodus 4.11, the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Dear friends, I want you to know something. Every time in the Gospels, when you see Jesus healing a blind man, He is revealing His Godness. He is revealing His true identity as God. In addition to that, we also know that the Old Testament is overflowing with all kinds of prophecies that speak about the Messiah. That when the Messiah comes, one of the telltale signs that will let you know that the Messiah has come is His ability to give sight to the blind. Look in your notes, I gave you Isaiah 29, verse 18. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. Out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. So friends, when we see Jesus Christ restoring the sight of blind people again and again and again in the Gospels, it isn't only because Jesus had a, a special place in His heart, for blind people. But specifically, Jesus is giving sight to the blind because that is one of the tangible signs that He is the Messiah. Now, friends, I want you just for a moment to imagine yourself as a blind person in this point of history. 
Put yourself in this blind man's place just for a moment. What would it have been like for you to be blind in the ancient world? There was no association for the blind in those days. There were no special government programs. There were no special government resources given. There was no Braille printed on buildings, restrooms, or in books. There was no technology back then of laser correction or high-powered lenses or medical implants. If you were born blind, you were in big trouble. You had all kinds of challenges in front of you. In fact, your whole life was destined to be one of, of a miserable kind of existence because you were completely dependent on others. You were totally dependent on other people to come alongside and help you. And, and your living really was scratched out one coin at a time as you sat in public places where people would walk by in great numbers and you would just sit there begging, hoping that somebody would take just a little pity on you and drop you a few coins so that you could scratch out enough money to get some food for that day. Friends, when Jesus Christ comes on this blind man sitting here in the temple area, this blind man who had lived an existence of such difficulty, he has no idea that his whole life is about to change for the better. Now, that brings us to a second aspect here of this narrative that deserves our careful attention. Here's number two. Let's talk about number two, the purpose of the darkness. Number two, the purpose of the darkness Look in God's word, picking up here in verse 2. We'll read down to verse 5. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, Christians, as we come to verses 2 to 5 here, I think it's rather unfortunate, isn't it? I think you'd probably agree with me that rather than viewing this blind man as a real person, who deserved compassion, who deserved grace. Isn't it unfortunate that the disciples looked on this man as nothing more than a topic for their theological discussion? In his commentary on this section, the great Bible scholar William Hendrickson wrote these words to the disciples. A glance at this blind man suggested a theological puzzle. To Jesus, a look at this man presented a challenge and an opportunity for work. The disciples reasoned, how did he get that way? Jesus answered, what can we do for him? So there were two ways of looking at this man, and the second was far better. I think that's right. Family, in order to understand this theological question that the disciples raised here, you have to understand something. You have to understand that the theological perspective of typical Jewish people during this time of history, and really it was the same perspective that was held by the religious leaders of that day, these folks believed that any kind of adversity, 
any kind of trouble, any kind of suffering that came into a person's life was always because of sin. That was the view of the people, and that was the view of the religious leaders of the day. So, with that understanding in mind, with that context, you can understand why when the disciples come upon this blind man who's in front of them, they turn and they ask Jesus. They say, Jesus, who, who was the sinner that caused this poor guy's condition? Was it this man himself? Is he the reason that he's blind? Is it because of his own sin? Or, or was it his parents? Did his parents commit some kind of heinous sin and now this guy is paying the price for it? Notice how Jesus answers in verse 3. I love that first word. You underline it in your Bible. Neither. Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But Jesus says that the works of God should be revealed in him. So Jesus says, no, disciples, your assessment here is wrong. It's wrong. This blindness was not caused by some specific sin. Rather, God permitted, God permitted this man to be born blind in order that Jesus might come on this day, at this moment, to display His glory in the midst of this man's suffering, in the midst of this man's tragedy. Now, Christian, there's an immediate application for your life right here, so don't miss it. There's a tremendous theological lesson for you here, friend. Just because someone is suffering through some kind of personal hardship, some kind of personal tragedy, that doesn't automatically mean that God is punishing them. It doesn't automatically mean that there's sin in their life and God is giving it to them as just punishment because they deserve it. Listen, if you come to that conclusion when you see hurting people, suffering people, you are making a conclusion that is not supported by the Bible. It is wrong. It is unbiblical to automatically assume that just because someone is suffering, that it must be the result of sin. Friends, could I remind you of a few characters in God's Word who suffered greatly but were sin-free through the process? How about Job? The Bible said Job suffered such horrific pain, and yet he did not sin. What about Joseph? Joseph in the Old Testament went through so much suffering, even as a slave, for more than a decade down in Egypt. What about the Apostle Paul? He didn't sin. He wasn't living in sin, yet the Bible says he had a terrible physical ailment, something with his eyes that troubled him for many years. And what about even Jesus Christ, who dies on the cross, not for his own sin, but for ours? So what I'm saying, friends, is listen, let's be careful. Let's be careful about playing God. And you and I trying to determine in either our own life or someone else's life, of the purpose behind their suffering. We need to be careful about that because we are not the Lord. The disciples concluded, well, this guy must be in sin, and if it's not him, it must have been his parents. But Jesus says, no, you are wrong. That is incorrect. The purpose of this darkness is for God's glory. The Lord was in charge of this man's life from the beginning, God is now going to get the glory on this day and in this moment as this man's blindness will ultimately be healed. So listen, Christian, even if today, even at this moment, even through this Christmas season, maybe nobody else knows, but you know, you know the adversity that you're going through right now. You know the hardship 
that you're going through right now, don't automatically assume that God is punishing you. It may just be that God has allowed, God has permitted this thing to come into your life so that through it, greater good might be demonstrated for His glory. And that you, as you trust in Him by faith, you will receive the greater good of trusting Him. And then by faith, you will ultimately give Him the glory. Family, that's the perspective that Paul took on his adversity. The, the troubles that Paul went through during his earthly life, look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 in your notes. Paul writes these words, But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, let's move forward. Can I show you a third feature in this amazing healing that ought to capture our attention? If you're taking notes, let's talk about number three, the power of darkness destroyed. The power of darkness destroyed. Look at verses 6 and 7. When Jesus had said these things, He spat on the ground, and He made clay with the saliva, and He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And He said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, Christian friends, as we study our way through the Gospels, we discover that there are actually three primary reasons why Jesus performed miracles. Maybe you'll jot these down. Three primary, three primary reasons why Jesus performed miracles. First of all, we see Jesus perform miracles in order to meet human needs. Jesus really did have a compassion for people. He truly did. He had a heartbeat for people. And there were times when Jesus was willing to overthrow the laws of the universe to do a miracle to be a blessing to someone. And he did that. Why? For his compassion. He had a true compassion for people. There's a second reason. Second reason why Jesus did miracles during his time on earth was to use that miracle as a launching pad or a springboard for some kind of a teaching about spiritual truth. Some of you will remember when Jesus did the feeding of the 5,000. He fed all those people miraculously, multiplying the food. And then Jesus, following the miracle, launches into this message. During that message, Jesus teaches the crowd, I am the bread of life. I am the food, the true food that you need for spiritual life. But there's a third reason why Jesus did miracles. And the third reason was to give definitive proof of his identity as the Son of God. Jesus did miracles to validate and to prove his identity as the divine Son of God. Remember, we had mentioned just a few minutes ago when the Old Testament scriptures often mentioned that when Messiah would come, He would heal the lame, and He would open the ears of the deaf, and He would open the eyes of the blind. And so by doing those kinds of miracles, Jesus is demonstrating that He is indeed the divine Son of God. He is the Messiah that the Lord had promised. Well, family, isn't this interesting? Once you notice this, we talked about those three reasons 
why Jesus does miracles in his earthly ministry? Did you notice all three of those happen right here? All three of them are happening in this situation. By giving the blind man his sight back, Jesus shows incredible compassion to this guy who had, who had the most pressing need of all was his, was his vision. This man had lived his whole life being blind. And so in compassion, Jesus is going to reach out and heal him. But did you notice verse 5? As soon as the healing was done, Jesus declares there in verse 5 that he is the light of the world. Or excuse me, just before, just before the miracle, that he's the light of the world. And then by restoring this man's sight, of course, we've already mentioned Jesus is fulfilling some of those prophecies out of the Old Testament scriptures about how Messiah would give sight to the blind. Now, let's talk about the miracle itself for just a minute. The actual miracle. Let's make sure we all understand, okay, that there was nothing unique. There was nothing special. There was nothing medicinal in this mud that Jesus made and packed on the man's eyes. Make sure you understand that. There's nothing special about the properties of the dirt that Jesus spit into to make this special compound that he put on the man's eyes. The Bible wants us to know that the true power behind the miracle is not the mud and it's not the clean water at the pool of Siloam, but the reason this miracle happens is by the supernatural power of Jesus. So don't miss that. Now, family, I think it's interesting to note here in verse 7, John, the gospel writer, gives us a little note. Now, did you pick this up? John, the writer, is careful to notate something for us, and he's even translated it for us, the place where this man was dispatched to go wash off the mud, to go wash his eyes. And that place, John identifies that place as the Pool of Siloam. Now, this was a special little reservoir of water that was located inside the walls of Jerusalem down on the southeast corner. But what's more interesting about the location of the Pool of Siloam is the translation that John gives to us. The word Siloam means sent. Sent. Hmm. Now, that's interesting. The blind man was sent there to wash and who was the one who sent him? The one who had been sent by the Father that all those who would believe on Jesus would have their spiritual eyes opened. Family, when we read verse 7, I think sometimes I think we ought to be a little ashamed of ourselves as American Christians because I think we read verse 7 way too fast. We read verse 7 way too casually. But what an incredible miracle this is. What a miracle just transformed this man's life forever. This guy who was born blind. This guy has lived in darkness since birth. And now, in a moment, he sees everything. This guy is seeing the yellow sun for the first time. He's seeing the sky. He's seeing the green trees. He sees the tanned faces of those people around Jerusalem. He is seeing all of this stuff for the first time ever. Can you imagine the intensity of this man's joy? And yet you and I read it so quickly there in verse 7. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went 
and washed and came back seeing. Oh, friends, don't miss the miracle. Don't skip over it so easily, so casually by the almighty power of Jesus. This man's darkness was destroyed. What a confirmation of who Jesus is. Jesus had just said there in verse 5, I am the light of the world. He said back in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, do you see it? Do you see the point that's going on here? This is an amazing representation of who Jesus is. He's here in public. He did this miracle for everyone to see the power that's in Him as the Son of God. He has the power to destroy the darkness, not only physically, but even as we will see, even the spiritual darkness that resides in the soul of this sinful man. Family, what an incredible Savior is Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one that has the divine power to destroy the darkness. He can do it in our bodies, and He can do it in our souls as well. Now, let me show you in the next section here a fourth feature that we need to see and pay attention to. Number four, we want to see now the people who remain in darkness. The people who remain in darkness. Number four, look what happens here in our text, picking up in verse 8. We'll read down through verse 13. Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously had seen that he was blind, said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. And others said, He is like him. And the man said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Then they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Now, friends, this is where the story starts to get intriguing. Verses 8 to 13, we discover that soon after the blind man comes back from the pool of Siloam, and he comes back seeing, what happens? A controversy a controversy erupts amongst the people, amongst this guy's neighbors, townspeople, maybe even a few of his friends who knew this guy. They were familiar with him, and especially his spot of begging that they walked by all the time. They saw him there all the time. They knew who he was. But yet this miracle has now happened, and these people are, are so overwhelmed, they're so shocked, so astonished, that they begin to have an argument if the blind guy was really the blind guy. Is this really the guy who we would walk by every day and see this guy begging for money? And the people are saying, well, yeah, I think that's him. And some people say, well, it looks like him. And finally, the guy has to speak up and he says, people, I'm him. Yes, it's me. I'm the guy that used to sit here blind begging for your money. But did you notice? Instead of rejoicing with this guy, instead of giving him a hug, and cheering for him. Man, they're so excited for him. They didn't do that. Did you notice what they did? They begin to pepper this guy with questions. And those questions reveal their cynicism and their unbelief. 
Did you see their questions? How were your eyes open? Who, who did this to you? And where is he? Well, not really understanding what they heard, not understanding what they had seen, this event had happened on a Sabbath. And because it was the Sabbath, they decided to take this formerly blind man to the Pharisees. And they thought they'd get some answers that way. Now, family, for time's sake, we can't look at all the verses from 14 to 34, but I'll just summarize it for you. This now-seeing man is brought before the Pharisees. And, of course, the Pharisees are cynical. They're unbelieving. They're even angry. They have heard that Jesus has done yet another miracle. They are so zealous to prove that Jesus is a fraud. So what do they do? They decide the only way that we can really confirm that this guy is who we all think he was or is, is we got to get this dude's parents here. And they can look at him and visually identify that, yes, he is their son who was born blind. Well, they bring the parents in, but the parents, oh boy, they are really nervous about this. Because the Pharisees do not like Jesus, and if anybody who says anything nice about Jesus or affirms Jesus, believes in Jesus, you know what the Pharisees were doing to people who were positive about Jesus? You're out of here. You're out of the temple. You're getting the boot. And that was painful. That was painful for Jews whose whole lives were wrapped around the temple and the synagogue. And so, not wanting to get permanently kicked out, these very nervous parents really take a course of cowardice, I think. And they tell the Pharisees, yes, yes, this is our son, and yes, he was born blind, but how he can see now, we have no idea. Look, uh, he's a grown man, so you take it up with him, we're out of here. So, long story short, this formerly blind man affirms that it was Jesus. Jesus took away his darkness. And as he continues to affirm what happened, the, the Pharisees get angrier and angrier. And then finally, if you look down, family, to verse 34, in verse 34, you see what happens. The blind man gets the boot. They've heard enough of how he wants to support Jesus, and so they kick him out. Friends, do you see the irony here? There's a real irony here that you shouldn't miss. Here in this little back and forth between the blind man and these Pharisees, there's irony. Because these were the brightest religious minds in all the land. These were the most respected religious leaders of the nation. And yet, we have just read, they were blind. Totally in the dark regarding the truth. They were totally blind, totally in the dark regarding the real truth about the identity of Jesus Christ. And yet, standing right over here is a blind guy who has been nothing and a nobody since the day he was born. But yet, this guy, this uneducated, blind man, he can see the light. He has the understanding of who Jesus is, that this Jesus is the one who healed me and gave me my sight back. He must be a servant of the Most High God. Dear friends, that just shows us the incredible chasm that there is between unbelief and belief. What a great canyon there is 
between unbelief and belief. And the Bible says over and over, belief in Jesus is the side that leads to light. Belief in Jesus is the side that leads to life. But for those who reject Jesus, that is the side that forever remains in darkness and death. Well, friends, we've seen this blind man have his sight cured, but that is not truly the apex of this story. The real climax of the story, friends, happens in verses 35 and following. So let's talk now about number five. Number five, the person who defeats the darkness. Number five, the person who defeats the darkness. Now here's the climax. Here's the finale. Let's look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. In other words, cast out the blind man. And when he, Jesus, had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? The blind man answered, formerly blind, answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. Friends, here in this final section of John 9, we discover how Jesus is concerned not only for people's physical health, their bodily health, but Jesus is especially concerned about the health of the human soul. Well, we read the first part of the narrative there, right, where Jesus had healed this man's blindness. He restored his physical sight. But I told you, that is not the climax of the story. The climax is here, where the man once again meets Jesus. Now he's seeing but Jesus grants to this man now true salvation, the light of Christ coming into his soul. Now, friends, we have to remember something. Yes, this blind man, remember, when he was still the blind man, he had talked to Jesus. But remember, he was still blind. He hadn't seen him. He heard the voice of Jesus, but he didn't know what Jesus looked like. It isn't until he washes off the muddy compound at the pool of Siloam that his sight returns, and now he's able to, to see. And so this is why in verses 35 and 36, Jesus comes to the man and Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of God? Or what might be translated in some of your Bibles as the Son of Man. In other words, the Messiah. Well, this man, even after his vision is restored, he doesn't immediately recognize that it's Jesus. So the man says to Jesus, well, who is he? Who is the Messiah that I may believe in him? Show me. Show me the guy. Point him out to me. I'll be delighted to believe on him. I love Jesus' answer in verse 37. You have both seen him. I love that. You've seen him, and it is he who is talking with you now. In other words, Jesus says, I'm him. I'm him. You've seen him. You're formerly blind man. You're looking at him. 
right now. He's talking to you. He's the one who healed you. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's worthy of your worship. And that's exactly what happens in verse 38. Heartfelt worship happens. This man believes. He says, Lord, I believe. And in that moment, of course, Jesus removes the darkness of this man's soul by the power of amazing grace. Notice the way John adds there in the verse, and he worshiped him. Anytime you see the word worship in the Gospel of John in relationship to Jesus, it's always pointing out heartfelt, real worship as is given unto God himself. And so not only was this man truly converted, he truly bowed in worship, real worship before the real God himself. Family, for as genuine and as joyful as this man's belief was, boy, it sure is a stark contrast to the Pharisees, isn't it? And their unbelief, their rejection. Notice how Jesus even points out the stark contrast. Do you see it there in verse 39? Look at it again, verse 39. For judgment, Jesus says, for judgment... I've come into this world that those who, who, who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. In other words, Jesus coming into the world puts every human being in one of two categories. What are those categories? The coming of Jesus puts every single human being in one of two categories. The receivers or the rejectors. That's it. Jesus says, those who believe on me, their eyes are open. Their hearts are made new. They are brought out of the darkness spiritually. They will receive the joy of eternal salvation. But the second group, the rejectors, those who continue to reject, those who refuse to believe on me, their eyes will remain closed. They will stay in the dark spiritually they will remain in their spiritual blindness and ultimately they will be judged with an eternal judgment well as jesus makes that statement the pharisees were there and they were listening and of course they took exception to that they were a little taken back by that was jesus asserting that they they the spiritual elites of israel is he saying that they are spiritually in the dark is Jesus saying that the religious leaders of Israel, that, that they're blinded, that they can't see, that they're destined for punishment? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. That's exactly what he said in verse 41. Jesus says, if you were blind, in other words, if you were like this man, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now, because you say, we see, we see, Jesus says, therefore, your sin remains. In other words, if you Pharisees would only acknowledge your darkness, if you'd only acknowledge your sin, if only you would believe on me, I would redeem you. I would save you. I would give you spiritual sight. But no, you keep rejecting you keep persisting in your spiritual hardness. You just want to stand over here in your self-righteousness and you say, we're fine. We're fine. We see fine, Jesus. Jesus says, then your spiritual darkness remains. And so does your sin. And so does eternal 
judgment. Friends, what application do we take away from this for our lives in the here and now? Well, listen, I think the ultimate application Jesus makes in in this event is that all people, listen, all people across the board reside in spiritual darkness. That's how we are naturally. That's how we are. We're in spiritual darkness. We don't see spiritually. We're in the darkness, the darkness of our souls. And that's why we so desperately need Jesus Christ. And that is why God sent Jesus to this planet, that you and I might be rescued out of the darkness by Jesus, who is, ah yes, the light of the world. Friends, Jesus came into this world not merely to heal people's physical eyes, but he came to give their hearts brightness of light. He came to illuminate hearts. He came to give spiritual light for the soul. And the Bible says faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to get that light. It's the only way to get that spiritual understanding. It's to believe. It's to believe on Christ. But for those who remain in that stubborn unbelief, that is just the ticket to darkness. To stay in darkness now and for all eternity. So dear listener, let me just pause and ask you today. What side are you on, dear friend, this Christmas weekend? Are you on the side of belief or are you on the side of unbelief? And Jesus says, there's only two sides. And the place where you choose to stand affects your eternal destiny. Scripture says those who believe on Christ, they repent of their sins. And they receive the forgiveness of their sins. And by Jesus Christ, they believe by faith and He gives salvation to them. And they receive spiritual light, spiritual understanding, and they ultimately enter into the joy of heaven for eternity. But the Bible also says for those who refuse, those who reject, those who persist in that hardness of heart and not willing to believe on Jesus, the Bible says they are given the penalty for their sins. And they will remain in darkness eternally, separated from God in a real place called hell. Friend, I would exhort you today, look within and ask yourself and see where you stand with Jesus Christ. Have your eyes been opened? Have you opened them to the light of the truth that Jesus is the only way of salvation? Or friend, are you the rejecter over here still stumbling along in the darkness? Friend, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus in believing faith, I would implore you to do it today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as the only Savior who can take away your sins, take away your guilt, and give you the light of eternal life. Friend, the Bible says when you believe on Jesus, He will change your heart, and He will change your life, just as He did for this man outside Jerusalem. Well, family, as we conclude today, I trust that you've been encouraged I sure hope that you've been strengthened by this amazing miracle where where Jesus opens the eyes of a man who was born blind. And then he drove the spiritual darkness out of the man's soul. Christian friend, if you're here today, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, well, I sure hope that this passage of Scripture, I hope this message strikes a chord in your own heart. And friend, I would want to remind you today, Christian, that this blind man's story is also your story. It's your story. Be reminded, Christian, not too long ago, you were blind. You were spiritually in the dark. Your soul was dark, and you were destined to remain in that darkness for eternity. But praise God 
Praise God. There was a day when Jesus Christ opened your eyes and He allowed you to see Him as the light of the world. And He transformed your heart and your life forever by the power of His salvation. Just like the lyricist wrote so famously, Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Christian friend, as you go into this Christmas holiday, open your eyes yet again to what Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has done for you. Look, if you and I start to get a little teary-eyed when we see a man up in New York State start to see color again, when we get a little teary-eyed when we see something like that good happening, oh, Christians, how much more? How much more should our emotions surge with joy, with happiness, with delight and worship when we remember what Jesus Christ has given to us. Oh, friends, just like that blind man went forth to proclaim, so it should be said by you and by me this Christmas. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I can see. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.